Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is the Friday show. It's not Friday. Let's be crystal clear. So a near Friday can be further away from Friday. And yeah, here we are. It is the Friday show. It's a bit of a Friday show coach home mashup. And to that end, I've got Mo Stewart with me and he'll be speaking to Tom Farhey. That is to come. Uh, I've already spoken to Natalie Bromley and Billy Grant uh, about Burnley and Brentford respectively. I've got Mike Kearney as well. Let's get off to a flyer. Let's not mess about because they're playing on Tuesday. Here's Natalie Bromley to talk about Burnley. Joined by Natalie Bromley to talk about Burnley, who beat Sheffield United 5-0. Natalie, are you a bit like me? Do you feel a bit like I'd have been happy enough to beat them 2-0 and we can save the three goals up for another day? <laughs> oh, what's your attitude? What's your attitude? You know what? Well, I'm, in the post. I'm desperate. <laughs> right now, I'll take anything. Um well, we needed a little bit of a, a, a boost to our goal difference. That was starting to look a little bit grim at the bottom of the table. So I will take the 5-0. I, I will take it for one reason alone. When we went 2-0 up, to be fair, when it was 1-0, it was such a one-side in a game of football. I don't want to kick poor Sheffield United when they're down, but they really were quite abysmal yesterday. Um, and one of the things I said when it was 2-0 is that the, just the intensity of the game absolutely disintegrated. And we would, there was one point when Dara Shea walked from our penalty box to pass the halfway line and there was not a Sheffield United player anywhere near him. And the game was just static for about 25 seconds and then he just was waiting for a pass. One of the things that I said um, on the game was, these are, you don't get many opportunities in the Premier League to really go for the cutthroat, ruthless streak and try and like really finish teams off. And that breeds a level of competitiveness and a level of intensity in games that you need to get through it when times are tough um, and with, literally within about 10 minutes they turned it up and that's that's why they won 5-0 and so I, I was pleased for that in the end because you can't just give up at 2 and then what if they get a fluke one goal back and then suddenly the game's um, starting to look a little bit nervous again and, and you've dropped off too much intensity wise so no I, w- I was pleased we went for it because I think it was an important exercise for Burnley to get a little bit of that swagger back that they've been missing was it cathartic? A little bit. <laughs> you yeah. know what? It was, I mean, it's the first even like points we've won at home this season. It's been incredible. I'd genuinely forgotten what it was like to win. And I, I watched Match of the Day. I'd forgotten that program existed. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have to go on a media blackout yesterday. I woke up this morning and watched the highlights on loop. It was, uh, it's been a while. Um, but yeah, it was one of our podcasters at None and Ever actually said at the beginning of the season, he felt like this season, we were going to get absolutely hammered 5-0, but we are also going to beat a team 5-0 because that's kind of how we play. Um, to be fair, I didn't expect us to get hammered 5-0 every week, but we didn't We didn't feel that with the right team, the right performance and, and everything falling into place that we would we would beat a team like that. And um, we're not getting carried away. It's Sheffield United who, bless the, the poor things, um, they are most definitely um, struggling at the bottom of the division. They are probably the worst side in the league with us coming in second um so there was quite a lot of banter with Sheffield United fans in good humor before the game where we're all trying to have um, 
a sing off to see actually who was the worst side in the league, them or us. And we were we were saying it was us, they were saying it was them, and it was um it was all very very fun. But yeah, it, it was um it's an important three points, and um you never know, Neil, you never know. Well, I want to come on to the you'll never know part, but I want to talk about a couple of players first as oh. journey. I want to talk about Rodriguez. Yeah, who you know is has uh, been an excellent servant, not just for Burnley but for other teams as well. He scores the goal in the opening minute, which obviously helps. But his all-round play, after the fact uh, that I read afterwards, it was meant to have been excellent. Yeah, he really was. I mean, he's not. He's not. He's playing at the moment because obviously Lyle Foster's um, away from the squad and will be for an indefinite period at the moment. And we don't necessarily have with with the legend that is about Vegost out on loan. Um, we don't necessarily have a supply line um, of, of of quality strikers to come in. And um, that's why Jay's in the squad because he's got the experience and he's still got you know a game in him to be able to to perform for Burnley. So he's most definitely not the first, or I would say even second choice. But when he's playing that caliber of um, team, he can be. He's still got that really dangerous quality. I thought yesterday he held the ball up really well. Um, I think we are still missing um, a more physical and a faster number nine, which is obviously the um, the role that Lyle Foster plays for us. Um, but uh, and he's going to struggle against the the bigger size. But um, yeah, he did a good job yesterday. I was pleased to see it. Uh, you mentioned before O'Shea. O'Shea also, a lot of the numbers post-match, looks to have really imposed himself on the fixture. Yeah. Am I being unfair? Oh, well, so am I being too kind? Am I being too influenced by the numbers? By all means, argue. It's fine. Yeah, I think, I think in all honesty, some of those numbers aren't always reflective of what you see on the pitch. I think that's probably fair to say. Okay. Um, I think he's had a stronger game than he's had for a while. I think he struggled a lot in this division. Um, and you know, as a championship player, he's stepped up and, and had to step up a league. So let's not, you know, let's not be too critical on the lad. He's learning the Premier League and he's he's doing his best. But he has struggled in a lot of the games. Yes, yesterday, um, I thought he I thought he looked more confident. Um, I think it's his passing that's probably letting him down a bit. Um, even without a lot of challenge with some wayward passes yesterday. So let's go as far as to say a much improved performance yesterday and one that I think um, is better than some of the ones we've had recently. So look ahead then, it's the Wolves mm. Tuesday. It feels a little bit like if there's, a res- if there's a result to back up this season, there will be nothing wrong with it being Tuesday's results. Oh. A difficult game on the horizon then after that away at Brighton and Hove Albion and then there's a home game against Everton and that takes us all the way through to the 16th of December. But the yeah. Tuesday off the back of the 5-0. It seems a little bit like if there's ever a time for Burnley to find a way on the road to do a certain thing, Tuesday would be fabulous. Yeah, it really would because that's the only consistency that we've had in this season so far is consistently getting beat. Um, and it's been back-to-back defeats all, like, you know, we've, we've had, what is it, nine defeats in a row um, until this maybe eight, but until this weekend. So... At some point, you've got to you've got to change that focus to be more of a winning mentality, and and confidence breeds from that. Away at Wolves is not going to be an easy game, and I'm you know I'm concerned because I've seen us struggle at home to Palace side. I've seen us struggle at home um, and lose a good, um, you know, nearly three points at home to West Ham against sides who aren't exactly lighting up the division. 
So Wolves isn't that's not going to be an easy game, but we've got that confidence now, and maybe that's just given these players a little bit of belief and just reminds them. Do you think he's able to play on the front foot? Because to me, whenever I caught Burnley this season, they want to play on the front foot, but they're not they're not yeah. to it. So what happens is that you end up playing a certain type of football, but then you haven't got enough numbers around the ball. Yeah. And do you think that the five nil might help them play, go to Molyneux, and at least have periods where they play on the front foot? I think so. And I think what's what's probably going to help that is that all four of our forward players and our uh, and Josh Brown and our attacking player, we had five different goal scores yesterday and all four of our attacking players got on the score sheet. I thought Amdouni and um, Coleo Shaw particularly were outstanding yesterday. And those are they're kind of luxury players and they're the players who um, they breed off confidence and it's Coleo Shaw's first goal as well. Um, so if we can stay... You know, if, if if you mentioned it before, if O'Shea feels a bit more confident after his performance, we are losing Bayer to a silly uh, booking. He's going to be suspended. But Ekdal came back as well. So if we've got Ekdal and O'Shea, and they can just say to them, look, lads, you know what, we've got you. Um, we're going to be a rock at the back. Just go and have a bit of freedom to play. Um, Sander Burge is, a, is really improved in that central midfield and we're not losing as many um, balls in central midfield as we were. So... That's what I would be saying. I think you're absolutely right. Just go and have a bit of freedom. Don't play too scared because um, that's that's what's, you know, when they're playing too scared, they concede one and then they concede five and that's what's happening this season. I'll ask you for a prediction. It, it seems somewhat odd. You know, uh, Wolves get themselves the 2-1. Uh, Arsenal finished the game quite strongly. Can you, can you, can you at least convince, can your heart convince your head a draw as possible or even more? <laughs> Uh, have I ever, apart from City away, have I ever said that Burnley would lose? I no. can't do it. I've got to back the boys, so I'm going to say it's going to be a really dominant two-one. I think we'll go two-nil up. We'll concede one, and there'll be a bit of a nervous finish, but we'll hold out, and it'll be a real confidence boost. There you go. There we go. It's John Gibbons for the Anfield app with a partnership courtesy of NordVPN. NordVPN have partnered with us before and we're delighted they are doing so again, not just for their support, but also because they offer loads of benefits to the football fan like yourself. There's lots of benefits to sign up to NordVPN, including, of course, watching sporting events, TV shows or films which aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country which is showing the events. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but a few of our games aren't on telly this season, but they are on TV somewhere, and you can find them by switching your virtual location. That's obviously one of the benefits of a VPN service like Nord, but they are one of the best around, and lots of reasons why, including that they protect your private data, like bank details, passwords, and online identity. Uh, with one click, you're able to switch your virtual location to another country, which also allows you to save money by purchasing flights, hotels, and subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. Now, I do need to point out that the Amphibia app subscription is the same price in every country, but others aren't, and that includes hotels and flights as well. So you can have a little look around and see what deals you're able to do yourself there. Uh, personally, for for me, uh, a big one with NordVPN is knowing that my data is protected when I'm traveling abroad and using public Wi-Fi uh, wherever I am in the world and know that I'm protected from viruses, uh, from malicious malware and phishing sites. It's also the fastest VPN in the world, which is important for what I'm sure you're going to use it from. No buffering or lagging while streaming, uh, which is the last thing you want when you're watching live sports. You want it to be a smooth process, don't you? Especially when you're watching the Reds and... They are able uh, to provide 
add that for you. It is the same price as one cup of coffee a month, and your account can be used on up to six devices. So if you want a huge discount of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash T-A-W. That is nordvpn.com forward slash T-A-W. That code will give you four additional months free on top of the two-year plan. And they're also that confident that you'll enjoy the service. They'll offer you a 30-day money-back guarantee. So that place to go again is nordvpn.com forward slash T-A-W. The link can also be found in the episode description box wherever you listen. Enjoy, and thanks a lot to NordVPN for partnering with us again. Great stuff, as ever, from Natalie. Um, we'll move on to Luton versus Arsenal. There's the notion, I think, Mo, that Luton could just keep it tight and ride the luck. The problem is, and it even happens in the Liverpool game where they get the draw, there's just so much luck that needs to be ridden. And that's that's where, you know, I think Luton will. They will leave one on someone. Uh, mm-hmm. They could do a play Manchester United Football Club at this critical time. <laughs> instead of got could Arsenal. We well, instead of got Arsenal, I think are just beginning to look like the the maybe in an attacking sense coming to the boil in the way that mm-hmm. they haven't been up to this point in the campaign. I think so. I think when you look at the goals that they scored against Wolves, their patterns of play looking sharp. And I think the Lons game in Champions League as well was another really good example. 5-0, five different goal scorers, all of the forward players getting goals. So you look at it and you think, yes, they are getting into the groove. I think they've got to a point where they're learning what worked and what didn't work from last season and they're really focusing in on that. I think you can now say that gritty away performances like the one that they got against Brentford are becoming a bit of a trademark of this team. So... They will feel confident. The, the thing is, like you say, there are there are wrinkles. There are areas where Luton kind of, I wouldn't quite say match up with Arsenal, but there is exposure potential. So mainly the fact that Luton's thing, like you say, they're keeping it tight, riding their luck, but they are hanging in games. Like no one's smashing them. I think they've only lost by two goals uh, Chelsea, Twice. I think yeah. it's Chelsea was one, yeah. Yeah, a couple of times all season. And so many of their goals are late in games. I think it's 11 out of 13 goals in the second half. And then you look at Arsenal and you think about Wolves, what happened? that They let them hang around, Wolves got in and they got nervous towards the end. Same thing happened with Forrest. The same thing happens every now and then. So you're Rob Edwards and you're thinking, well, if that happens, then we can capitalise. The problem is, is it literally happened in the last game. So Mikel Arteta will be saying, lads, let's not let that happen, shall we? This is, it's a funny one uh, with Arsenal the weekend against Wolves because they attacked brilliantly, you know, watching the highlights, Mike, they looked great. I think, and I mean this with the greatest of love and respect, not least because I've seen Liverpool teams do it, it's quite straightforward to attack brilliantly when you score with your first two shots. It really helps matters. Everyone calms down, you tune up and suddenly you're playing free-flowing football at least until half-time. That's what happens in that game for Arsenal. You know, they're, they're cut and loose by the break. They're almost approaching two expected goals, having scored with the first couple of chances, neither of which are great chances, but the ball hits the back of the net. That said, I actually think it's been a bit of a strength of Arsenal this season, which is they've, I think they've taken good chances when they've... Uh, taken, sorry, taken not quite good chances well when they're being offered and that bodes well for the game against Luton. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's mad enough. Football's just a, a game where if you, if you can get the momentum, it's it's hard to take it off someone. I'm, I'm Arsenal sort of do that when they get the goals and it's like, well, we're tuning down to this Arsenal side now who have been winning over the last 18 months. I'm, 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 we, we've been there and done that and worn the T-shirt for ages. Once, once you start winning, you just it just happens. And it, 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 that sounds so reductive to say, but... It's it's sort of true because everyone's knowing right that this is what we're doing. We're training really well. We're playing really well. We're making loads of chances. 
so we'll, we'll score a couple. And I think that's what we were sort of like at Luton ourselves. We had loads of chances, you know, and, and we draw one all. And like you're saying, Ned, requires a lot of luck on Luton's end for, for that to happen again and again against bigger teams. And, and Arsenal have, have been playing really well, I, like just genuinely playing well, winning well, scoring goals. As Mo touches on the, the Lons game in the midweek before, the, you know, all from Saka and Odegaard score, scored again at the weekend. It's just like players like that hitting the stride without having to be absolute top gear, by the way, and, and, and needing to grind loads of games out. They've had one or two where they've had to dig deep. Uh, they win. They win late against United, don't they? Or equalise late? I can't remember. But they win late against they United. One-one and finishes three-one. Yeah. They, so like they've got them in the locker just to pull up, pull on if they need. But I don't think they've had to absolutely be in fifth gear, running down a hill, battering teams, having life and death with either us or City yet. Um, I say yeah because I really hope the twenty third is going to be like that, and we're going to have absolute goals all over the place, mainly in their net. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just I feel as if Luton are, are going to struggle big time against Arsenal and if one of them chances they do take that aren't really like I don't know a, a, whatever the XG is on them like over over half a half a chance of it being a goal or under half chance Arsenal take them and then Luton will just go oh like the air will be out the tyres a little bit and, and Arsenal can then put a foot on it and, and maybe hopefully for them anyway that's what we'd be saying isn't it you want to get two goals up here and just take the game off them and there's, so they can't get back in there's one thing to note Mo is that Arsenal have got a massive one Saturday evening coming yeah. up which is Villa away and we'll talk about that as we get closer to it but I think it means it necessitates I think some changes for this one now mm. you know he makes early subs against Wolves so it wouldn't surprise me if the early subs almost fat follow a pattern so he doesn't get here for he's us he does have it for Martinelli and he does Ben White for Tommy Asu I think probably all three of those subs start yes. that doesn't necessarily mean that the, the players they come on for don't because it may well be that he decides to, he wants to be he wants to be fresh in other areas but there is a squad there at Arsenal my point is that sometimes though when you do turn to your squad you can just be a little bit blunted uh, mm-hmm. and there's a chance that that could work for Luton as well but a lot of this is the extent to which it does feel like a first goal game is hard to put into words yeah that's very true and I think from Arteta's point of view they would have absolutely looked at this block of um, Brentford Wolves Luton as uh, nine points kind of uh, non-negotiable I said that to Jordan Jarrett Bryan on last week's show and he agreed and they have got six out of six so far. So that kind of gives him leeway to say, OK, I can maybe make some changes with such a big game ahead. Obviously, yeah, Tommy Asu, I think, is injured, so White was going to come in anyway. Uh, probably feels a little bit hard done by to have lost his starting place, so that'll be interesting to see him do. But as you mentioned in the Lons game, there's lots of them who are scoring goals and feeling good. So it will be the kind of squad where everyone will be uh, believing that they can come in and make a difference. So I think that will help them. I think the other thing that helps them is the fact that it wasn't really going their way away at Brentford. Havertz comes off the bench and gets the winner. We've said that about Liverpool so many times. When you see a substitute come on and make a difference, it gives everybody a lift, whether you're starting or not. So those are the kind of wins that are wins for everybody in the squad. And Arteta will hope that he can ride that through this game. Onto the Wednesday night fixtures. Palace versus Bournemouth Mike to Bournemouth's credit this one now looks very mid-table um, it's it took some time for them to to, to hit the straps uh, under the manager it's now a, a nice looking form table from a Bournemouth point of view it's three wins one draw and one defeat in the last five um, that is that is very very healthy form and they haven't been playing bums either you know that includes Newcastle at home it includes Villa at home 
it's it's a neat little run uh, for a side that that should feel as though it's now upwardly mobile. Yeah, I think I think the decision makers at Bournemouth will be taking a nice deep breath now. Um, it was a bit of a risk. A lot of people would have said that, and me included. I hold my hands up and, and say, like, I, I thought Gary O'Neill was was very hardly done to, but the the new man you've brought in is now settled on a, a you know a formation, a style of playing anyway, at least, and and he's picked his players. You know, I really like the Semenyo, Solanke, and Clivert, um as a three, just attacking really well. They're all amongst the goals at the minute. Semenyo, a couple of, even though it's m- months ago now, as we probably are recording Bournemouth, he was really good at Bournemouth. Uh, for Bournemouth at us, sorry. Um, so yeah, they just they feel very mid table, and it's it's it is it is a a credit to them that they've got there. They were I, they were never. If you look back at that table last season, for as long as they were in danger, once Gary O'Neill got the got the sort of spirit all together and the community, uh, the the dressing room flying, he knew the players. He knew what to do to get the best out of the players. They all sort of chipped in really well. And Solanke's looking like a real real good footballer now that. Is one that was at Chelsea and Liverpool. You can see, you know, he's scoring goals. He's bringing play, people into play really well. You know, as I said before, the, the three he's, he's gelling with. They've just got a lovely rhythm about them now, where they can think, well, we're better than Palace because Palace are just forever twelfth, in my opinion, twelfth to fourteenth, and never more and never less. It's it's a it's a real game where they can think, well, we have got a great point there at the weekend, and we, and we just got to go here now and and, and do the business because we know we can. There's something, Mo, I watched uh, Match Today 2 last night uh, and I thought, God, it looks like Bournemouth have won the game against Villa. They won, they won Match of the Day 2, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I'm often a little suspicious of. So this morning I fired up the stats programme, stats bomb our friends, and in there I went, oh no, they won the numbers as well. Mm. And they have a really good run either side of half-time, Bournemouth, where there's there's excellent chances for Solanke, for Zabernie, for Clivert, for Solanke again, and Solanke again, he converts one of them. And it's one of them where, again, when it comes in the match of the day two highlights, I'm like, this all seems a bit convenient, yes, and yes. yet they really do all sorts of happen either side of half-time within what is effectively about sort of 20 minutes of time on the pitch. And that's the but again to Bournemouth's credit, and that's a side that's clearly functioning well. The idea that they can do that to a team that, as we know, are as as well organised as Villa mm. have been over the course of this campaign, it suggests things are going well for them. It does, and it's funny you mentioned the match today thing. I think we've all been scarred by how many times that's happened to us. Yeah, where it's like mm. we know we know that game didn't go the way you made it look, but. For Bournemouth, I think what it is, is again, it's a team who are very much in the rhythm of their game plan. But it also says to me, they're able to target certain periods of the game. Because if you think about those last 10, 15 minutes of the first half, it is traditionally where a big team tries to turn it down. And I mean, we've seen over the course of the system, um, over the course of the weekend, Liverpool struggled to do it and other teams struggled to do it as well in those last 10 minutes. So if you're a team like Bournemouth and if you've got a really good game plan if you can attack those minutes you can get maximum pain from them or maximum um, reward from them should I say and yeah the stability of their lineup is really helping them but I think it's also fascinating in slightly a different way if you think about the fact that it Billing obviously was injured, which is how he came out of the starting lineup. But he is now very much a bench option. That front six of uh, Cook, Christie, uh, Tavernier, Semenyo, um, uh, who am I forgetting? Clivert. Clivert, of course, and Anselanke. They are expected to play now for each game. And 
when you're in this stage of the season and you can name reel off your starting eleven, I think you're in a good place as a side. Not everyone's able to do it at this stage of the season, but with the games and injuries and all those other kind of things. But if you're if you can do that, if you've got that stability because it's working, then you're in a good place. They they'll be coming up against already workmen like Crystal Palace, unless something has changed somewhere. So the midfield three was Hughes, Richards, Chris Richards, and Jefferson Lerma for the game against West Ham. Uh, having a little look at what's on the bench there, I didn't see anything that made me go, well, they could do that differently, Crystal Palace. Um, I'd be really surprised. They are, they're not quite down to the bare bones, but they are struggling, I think, a little bit to to name certain personnel. The, mm. the, the, the centre-half partnership for Palace is rock solid and will be. The full-backs, I think, are, are, I think Mitchell especially is a very good player. Uh, and I think Ward is is very solid indeed. Elise's obviously got a ton of quality, but it is worth making the point that Lerma, Chris Richards, and uh, Will Hughes is a grafting midfield three. It is. It is a grafting midfield three. And again, how much of that, you like you say, they're hamstrung by what they have available to them and how much of it, particularly, I suspect, from Palace fans are, well, this is kind of Roy Hodgson reverting to his natural type. He's not necessarily going to try as hard to look around it as others would. Um, I do feel a little bit for him in this situation, like you say. I think it's hard to say that... Uh, there's really anyone pushing for inclusion. Very much so. Uh, Czech Decore is obviously a big miss. Like earlier on in the season, I spoke about the square of Anderson, Gehi, Lerma, Decore, and how important that would be to Palace's game plan. They've obviously got, they've lost him, for, I think, for most of the season now. So they're going to have to think about everything differently. And I'd say, at least say, they haven't got the two of them on the pitch together. So it's all a bit fractured. It's all a bit just scrambling around. It's all a bit just like, as Mike said, well, we'll end up 12th to 14th anyway. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out as we'll go. We'll, we'll pick up enough points here and there. But I think that always makes them vulnerable to teams who, like Bournemouth, who think, well, okay, if they're not going to take us seriously, we can really attack them. Yep. Another interesting one uh, around the mid-table, Fulham versus Forest. Um I was really impressed with Fulham at Anfield uh, yesterday, Mike, I really was. I think that they've got a game plan, they execute it very, very well indeed. I do think it's a little tougher for them in games where they're expected to make a bit more of the running, uh, not least because they don't have a ton of pace in attacking areas, which means they need to have space, ironically, they need to have space to operate in because running away from people in close-knit areas is difficult for them if they come up against a low block. Um, they, though, do suddenly, and it is quite suddenly, look to be playing markedly better football than Forrest, where Steve Cooper, I think, is under pressure, and I think it's understandable he's under pressure. Yeah, Forrest are mad, and, and, and they're sort of being hit with their own injuries, haven't they, around uh, Taiwo Oone, and that's, that's a blow, but... Once that's happened, you've got to sort of admit that now and and, and move on. And they've got enough. They should have enough to be to be causing problems. They have chances against Everton without really having like a massive one that you think, oh, got to score that, got to score that. Fulham, <laughs> to be honest, that on eighty minutes yesterday, I was just thinking, well, this is just going to be very hard because they were very set in the ways of defending the way they were all game, very compact. The midfield was brilliant, um, which. You know, is is mad because there's not really a, a household name player in there. But you know, Pelina obviously had his, his link to Bayern and, and his deal basically nearly done. Apart from, you know, he was over there waiting to do his medical. Essentially, it just never came through, and, and Fulham gained a player back. And even <laughs> the, the whole base of that squad, it just feels like they're very well coached. And Marco Silva, you know, he, he sort of. 
he's had a mad career, hasn't he? Where he was, you know, Watford, Everton, and now where he is at Fulham. He always manages to somehow get on these runs and coach players quite well, but then always just sometimes go like as you're mentioning there. Now they're going to be failing favourites and go and have to in this game, and they should have enough to win because Harry Wilson. You know, I thought he played okay the other day. Played well, comes off early, and I was scratching my head, thinking, "I wonder why Pereira and, and Wilson are coming off as early as they are." The sort of submitting to the fact that, right, we'll just hit them on the counter all the time now, and, and not really try and get further up the pitch a bit more or, or more aggressive on these counter attacks. But the, 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 they've definitely got enough quality to, to, to go and put Forrest away. The thing I'd be concerned about if I was Forrest coming into this one, and then again, you know, with the weekend's game, Fulham are at home to West Ham, is that. Fulham's trick last season, I thought, was we'll know when the opportunity is there and we'll go up. And I think they do that excellently, Mo, against Liverpool uh, two or three times. And by, by times, I don't mean like split seconds. I don't mean 30 seconds like these a week here. What I mean is for for arguably the 15 minutes leading into half time, Fulham are the better team. Mm-hmm. They have a purple patch for a brief period in the second half. They have a little bit in the first half. The idea is, it's not the idea, as I say, of 30 seconds. It's not always the idea of 10 minutes either. It's a halfway house between the two. Yeah. And that's what they did brilliantly last season. And I thought they sniffed the same thing against Wolves. And I think they sniffed the same thing against Liverpool. That's what they look back to. That's what I thought that they'd lost. And that, to me, is what they look like they're back to. Yeah, and that's going to be crucial for them. It's similar to what we were saying about Bournemouth. Once you get into your rhythms and your systems, then you feel comfortable enough to attack other teams and to, like you say, lie in wait and know that you can hold them out up until those points. It is interesting. I do think that their away-from-home game plan is much better than their home game plan. Like you say, it's difficult without pace, without a strong focal point. Obviously, people have kind of mention that every time you talk about Fulham, it feels a little bit unfortunate. But at the moment, that's the glaring problem that they have when you look at that team. Um, with this game, Forrest, confidence-wise, the booze that came at the end of that game, uh, there was an article in The Athletic this morning about how that was felt like a turning point for a lot of people because Cooper's always had the, the crowd. So what kind of confidence Forrest will have coming into it will be fascinating. That might help Fulham if they think, okay, well, we're in a good place. We can go out there, make the game, and they won't be able to handle it. I think that that's probably their best method. Uh, Last one, Mo. uh, Brighton versus Brentford before we get Billy Grant in, uh, just very briefly. To me, this feels, it's on the verge of being a bit of a must win for Brighton. And I don't want to sort of sound dramatic in amongst all of that. It's a side that last season obviously performs as well as it does, finishes high up the table. There is a two-point gap between them and Manchester United. That might feel a little bit irrelevant, but there's a four-point gap between them and Newcastle, who sit in sixth. They're only a point ahead of West Ham, who sit in ninth. And they are determined to always prove me wrong when I say this, (laughs) but at some point, Chelsea are going to hit a degree of straps, and they've just beaten Brighton. Uh, It's worth pointing out by three goals to two. Um, I'm looking at this Brighton side, and I'm not going to say something as dramatic as the season could get away from them. Like, oh, there's no point competing anymore. They're still in the Europa League. Mm. They'll put some good performances in. But I think they do want to feel competitive in the league table. I think that does matter to them. Yeah. And it, I feel a bit like, the, the, the you know, genuinely, if Brentford go there and win, Brentford are tied with points with Brighton. I think that's worth pointing out. That And suddenly they feel back in that class mm. rather than in the idea of being in the upwardly mobile class, if you see what I mean. Yeah, and I think that that's something that's very um, well-known within the squad. I think I listened to De Zerbe's post-match comments and <clears throat> particularly in the match of the day, 
um, Jonathan Pierce was really egging him on to say something about that penalty because Pierce had obviously decided he hates VAR and it was something he wanted to kind of push. It was mad at the because then there's the Colwell one ten minutes <laughs> yeah, later, lads. Come well, on, exactly. I thought that too, but anyway, um, and Deservey batted it away, and he was like, "No, it was a penalty." He's gone beyond trying to make headlines with his comments, and now he's been like, "Okay, well, this is like this is bad." We need to do something about it. So I feel like within his own internal levels of worry, he's maybe gone to another one. How they get out of it is a difficult one because they're another side who's like one man in, one man out when it comes to injury. So it's hard for him to really say, look, this is what I want after a first team to be. And they are still managing the European campaign. They haven't got to a situation where they can rest players. They've still got a very vital last game against Marseille that they are going to want to take seriously. I think the interesting thing, though, like you say, if it does get away from them, they're in a situation where they can be in February and say, OK, we've got three paths to Europe, uh, FA Cup, Europa League, League. Or they could be in February and say, we've got two paths to Europe, FA Cup and Europa League. Now, as long as they don't drop too far, I think they might be able to wear that in a similar way that West Ham did. But obviously, West Ham had the added bonus of winning a European trophy. And we're in the Conference League and not the Europa League. Uh, And it is worth pointing that out as well. Anyway, uh, here is the wonderful Billy Grant on Brentford. Billy Grant, besotted, that's me. Uh, In the context of Billy, it's also the podcast that he hosts uh, about Brentford uh, that he does week in, week out and does the business with. Uh, It is always a pleasure to speak to him. It is Sunday night after Brentford have dominated Luton on Saturday. I want to talk about this, Billy. The Brentford manager is a very good manager at setting sides up to go, even at home, but especially away from home, against teams and shut them down and make it difficult and make it horrible. But then every now and again, the Brentford manager's got to set up a home to play against sides where Brentford should win. And I think it shows how good a manager he is, how straightforward he finds it to flip from State A to State B. Brentford absolutely take Luton to the cleaners. It's interesting you say that as well. Thanks for inviting us on again, Neil. I know you're having a very good evening. It's half, and I'm not I'm not going to keep you away from your good evening, so I'll try and keep this down. But um, the thing is that you would have watched Match of the Day. So uh, the thing about Match of the Day is that they show the highlights or the lowlights sometimes. And there was, there was in that first half of that game, there were definitely a lot of lowlights and not very many highlights, actually. And we went into that first half thinking, oh, my God, that this game's a bit of a stinker, actually, because we were struggling to uh to, to 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 get through you know Luton has came with their game plan and you know you played them a few weeks ago you know what they're like you know they go out there that, and 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 again we, we laughed because actually one of the people in your um in the pub when we met you afterwards uh uh, uh when we went to Liverpool and he and he said um uh, Brentford are very good at what they do which is which is, is in a way is a nice thing to say but also it's sort of slightly backhanded compliment as well so I don't want to go around and say Luton are very good at what they do even though they are very good at what they do and what they've done is that they just basically stopped us from getting anywhere not getting anywhere near the goal what made it very hard for us to get anywhere near the goal. they literally didn't have a shot i mean in the first half they did they didn't have a shot at all and they didn't even really try because their game plan was to stifle us and you realize that when you get that game plan you need to be clever and and the fact is that we didn't have jensen in our side because he was injured. We had, you know, we got, I keep going on about our injuries, but so we had different players in our side as that. We, str- we struggled a bit in the first half and we came out of that first half thinking, cool, this has got nearly all written all over it. But the second half, bang, early goal, Malpay scored. As you know, we love Malpay, scored that goal, very happy. And all of a sudden the floodgates opened. We were, we were brilliant in that second half. Being brilliant in that second half to me is, it's such a key part of the Brentford story. You say there about, you know, who was or wasn't functioning for you, what was or wasn't going well. 
whether or not Jensen was available, what was going on in the pick. But to me, the manager picks. Let's be clear, he doesn't make a raft of half-time substitutions. He just rearranges them a little bit. He picks more pay from the start. He knows he needs three forwards on the pitch. And then what happens, the forward who is very much the third-choice forward is the one who pops up for him to make it 1-0. Yeah, again, you know, listen, you know, you don't have to talk to me about Thomas because Thomas, again, we love him and we think he's great. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a very, very clever manager, lovely bloke. And yes, he does do the right things. And, and if anything, what we said in our podcast prior to West London, by the way, um, before the before the match, we said that if anything, Thomas probably prefers to play against Liverpool, right? Ah. And, and and no, and that's seriously in Chelsea oh, yeah. than he would do against, against Luton because he's thinking, oh God, Christ, you know, I'm going to have to really kind of you know pull a few stoppers out here to try and get through there. Whereas you know Liverpool play a certain way, and in that game that we played, you if the if 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 if, if a boomer had scored early on. Could have been very different, and you're, you know, you're coming at Arsenal. The game's really open, so those are the kind of games that he likes. Hit you on the break, whereas Luton's hard, man. It was hard, and when they scored their goal, we thought, oh, here we go again. Like you know, I'm saying, we're going to be back up against the wall. So yeah, you're, you're right in the fact that Thomas, you know, he he does do the right things. We act, but we act like it's just a manager. One of one of the things I think about Brentford is that it's a set of clever players. No guard is a clever player. You know, you can sort of go through that side and you can identify two or three of them. And Bueno, to me, looks like a really clever player, really clever movement. I'm sure he's well-coached, but part of being well-coached is being good at being coached, taking the information in, learning, going from there. I mentioned Norgaard. There's a couple of others, but another really good example of, I'm sure, a player who, who managers love is Ben Mee. Gets on the score sheets, but is dominant in so many phases of play in that game against Luton. And there'll be a big onus on him for this game coming up against Brighton as well. He'll need to defend ever so well against Brighton. But the point is, is that Brentford are walking for that Brighton game being very well coached. Yeah, well, well coached. And there's players are clever players as well. But I think also the other thing is that I think you've got to have people who are willing and open to learn. So, you know, some of these players, they may not come in and they're, they're not like that, but they're coming in and they learn the Brentford way. And I think a lot of the thing when we first started off is trying to get people to understand, look, this is the way that we operate. And when we started off, we didn't have people like that. They thought, what's this nonsense? What's this rubbish? What's this vegetarian diet you're putting us and all, you know, and they weren't interested at all. But eventually, as time has gone on and we put our way in and we said, look, this works for us. People have come in and yes, it's learned. And some of them, it might take them two years before the rest and they get there and you can see him we'll sign this player I mean Yarmulek we signed Yarmulek we said what 18 months ago Yarmulek everyone's thinking who the hell is, who the hell is Yarmulek Yarmulek who is Yarmulek Yarmulek is basically Mudrik we tried to sign Mudrik couldn't get Mudrik blah we know he paid 10, 12, 14 million for it before anyone even knew who Mudrik was the war came in Ukraine they stopped the bidding. He came back in. All of a sudden, Chelsea coming with 80 million. We're out of the picture. So we went, oh, let's go for Yarmulik. How much is he? Well, three million. We'll go for him instead. So that player is there. But he's been in the camp for 18 months. And we've just been building him, getting him to the Brentford way. Then all of a sudden, he popped up last week, uh, had his first start. Or yeah, I think he's had his first start last week. And he was brilliant. And I was going, God, this Yarmulik guy is really great, isn't he? But it's taken eight months, 18 months to get him there. So I think my point is I'm saying that good players... But, you know, they're not ready to go straight away. There's a bit of time to actually get them up to speed. So what do you think he'll do for this one to go into Brighton? Do you think he'll go to his back three? I think he will. He'll move to his back three. He knows what he's about there. He'll also be very, very patient where facing Brighton's concerned. What do you expect from him? He's, he's asked the question. I keep saying this. Do you know, if, in principle, against teams like Brighton, and no, 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 teams like Brentford, teams like Brighton, um, we should go against the back three, but we, we're getting so many injuries that we, we're actually kind of running out of players. So, in the, <laughs> no, we are. But in the warm up, Ayer 
got injured yeah. in the warm-up against against, against Luton. So all of a sudden, he's on the team sheet, then all of a sudden, Ob pops, up, Ob pops off Godos, who had to play in a position that he doesn't normally play in, right? I'm saying, at the back. So we're thinking, what are they going to do? Are they going to go with Godos? Are they going to go with, you know, um, uh, Mads Ross? Oh, we've got no idea what they're going to do. But I think that he trusts the... He, he'll coach them to play a particular way. So if he does that, yes, we'll go three at the back. And, and and we'll play that game against Brighton. I mean, we played Brighton over in, I know that you were there very recently because you met my mate Katie. Katie yeah. from, the, yeah, up in Atlanta as well yeah. when you did the gig there. We got Katie the B. He's a bread for bad in Atlanta. She went to your, to your show, which she enjoyed very much, she said. She said there's a lot more swearing on your podcast than there is on the Besotted podcast, so we need to up the ante. And oh, and now... <laughs> You know, so but Katie, but what, Katie was with us in the in, in the the Mercedes Benz Dome in Atlanta when um, Bradford played Brighton. Actually, so we played Brighton down in Atlanta, and they beat us. I think it was two 0 and we played a game. And it's interesting because they played a game where they sat back a lot, actually, sort of tried to squeeze, you know, and then basically sat back, soaked it up, kind of like what we do, and then they just hit us really quickly, which was quite different to how they played us last year so i don't know if it's going to be a case of two teams sitting back waiting for one of them to actually attack and then boom there you go but um brighton uh they're doing all right but they i mean they were the best team that we played last season um i, I thought arsenal were the best team until we played brighton i thought they were, they were they were fabulous when we played them last season and they don't seem to hit quite hit the heights that they have of last season so i'd like to think that we can go there and maybe kind of untuck them a little bit yeah That'll do. Thank you very much to Billy. Let's get back over. Uh, great stuff from Billy. Let's move on. We're still, at the time of recording, uh, Sheffield United have not yet formally sacked uh, Heckingbottom. Uh, similarly, uh, Chris Wilder, who looks like he will be favourite to be joining them, has not yet been confirmed as joining them, uh, which you know means they lose a day's training. Uh, it's worth pointing out from the look of it, unless they're going to be doing a late-night session today at some point, or it's just going to happen anyway and no one knows about it yet. But it, it does look like that's the way. The Sheffield United issue, Mo, more than any other, will remain the injuries. I think it's worth sort of pointing that out. Mm -hmm. You know, he'll, he'll know a fair few of the players if it is Wilder. I don't think there'll be that much of a difference in terms of the way they, they approach the fixture in the round. There might be some more, if the argument is there needs to be an attitudinal difference, mm -hmm. uh, that might well be in there. Um, if there needs to be a difference around the way in which the discipline of the side is operating, that might well be in there. But, I don't think there'll be a massive sort of restructuring and they'll still have this problem, which is, and I do mean this with the greatest respect, they're using Jack Robinson as the middle centre-half because he's the most experienced one that they've got at this point. Yeah, um, it's hard to say that any uh, manager would look at that squad and say, yes, this is exactly what I need to go through a Premier League season. So, yes, Wilder's going to be hamstrung by that, but if there was any staleness around any signs that any of the players are kind of checked out from listening to Heckingbottom then Wilder will find that <laughs> unless of course there are some players within that squad who were quite happy that Wilder left and maybe aren't so happy that he returns that's another one that you always have to factor in in these situations but yeah they needed to do something um you look we've all kind of been guilty of clumping the promoted sides together and saying that they're all uh, lacking quality but I think this weekend has really highlighted the fact that there are levels within the three uh, and Sheffield United even compar obviously in comparison to Burnley in comparison to Luton what we're saying Luton aren't getting smacked Sheffield United have been smacked three times now uh, and yes you can say oh Newcastle Champions League team Arsenal Champions League team they can't say that about Burnley and 
it was one of those games where I was listening through it on Sky Sports News, and when it was 2 0, I was like, ugh, that means that if they lose against us badly, they're probably going to sack him. And then when it went 3 4 5, I was like, okay, he's getting sacked now. And maybe that's what this squad needs. I feel like they need more than that, considerably so. I think injuries play a part. Um, Mike, you know, and I think that he is a manager who really has had hard luck in terms of where the injuries have hit. He's lost experienced defenders. And when you are going to have to defend a lot, as for instance happens against Bournemouth, put Bournemouth in there, you know, Bournemouth are 3 0 up on 55. There's a reason for that. And it's because they can't get a grip of the game, because they can't defend, because they've lost experienced defenders. You know, I. I I think if you're not careful, you can you know you can talk yourself into new manager bounces. And as I say, it may well be that they are better under Chris Wilder. It might be that they improved week one, and Liverpool will have to cop for that and find a way around it. But when you have a defensive injury crisis, we've seen it at Liverpool. It makes it really difficult to get any stability uh, in amongst performance. Yeah, because you, you you have players that are you know even though they train together, they're not familiar playing with each other, and, and you know especially at this level maybe as well. You, you you're looking at coming in cold you know not not really knowing what 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 to expect even though you know they know it's a higher level you know nine times out of ten in a higher level you're going to be playing against better teams they, they sort of probably they're unlucky in the Everton two all aren't they really they, they, they should probably find a way to win that and if they find a way to win that then they maybe get another result somewhere along the line and maybe they're not as down as we are but yeah, I think you're right like the, the injuries they have to be they have to be taken into account. You know, the they sold players in the summer as well, didn't he? Which has also got to be taken into account. And yet they brought uh, Cameron Archer in. Uh, is that is that permanent or on loan? Uh, that's permanent, but Villa have got a buyback. I mean, well, that's that's that, that feels smart business, smart to long term business. As in, if you do somehow manage to survive, you know, it's very much potential heavy player with, with some quality that we've seen so far this season but it feels like he'll rip the championship up if, you, if you're resetting again next year and the second the manager sort of has to happen now where they, so you give yourself the best chance of, of, of some scrambling some sort of form together when you get this I don't think there'll be a bounce necessarily maybe an energy bounce more than a performance bounce because I think people who are there might have just been getting a little bit Toe down with all we losing again. We're doing the same things in training, blah blah blah. You can tell yourself a story, can't you, when you're down that part of the table? What the manager's doing, what you know, the injuries, and 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 tell, you can just talk yourself into a, a spiral of doom. The the story, Mike, Liverpool have got to tell themselves looking at it is this is a team that went to Tottenham, uh, and the game was still live in injury yeah. time. Uh, at home against Manchester City it takes a late Rodri winner to win it 2-1 at home against Manchester United the second best Manchester United they need a Dallow goal to do the decent thing it's a team that's gone to Brighton and got a point there's the 2 all with Everton they only get beat 1-0 at home by Crystal Palace they beat Wolves 2-1 uh, earlier in the season as well at Bramall Lane whilst Moe's right to highlight when they've got battered in the context of why the manager's got to move on Liverpool should look at that and go but all of those games were still alive with five minutes to go. And, uh, you know, one way or another, including the ones where Sheffield United have got a result to hasten to add, all of them were still alive with five minutes to go. And Liverpool have got to be responsible around that and know that this is a side that can make, especially that ground, really tight, really horrible. And it's an evening game. And if there is a new manager, there'll be a crowd that's up. All the hits are there. Liverpool have got to be responsible for the idea of what Sheffield United are capable of. Extremely so, yeah, because if you're not, Luton happen again to us. And, you know, we draw one all with Luton, as I mentioned before, lots of chances. Luton have their 
break and hang around the game and then and sort of encourage them into the game and once we go 1-0 down in that game you don't want to do that here even even though they we they, you know theoretically they are a poor side we've seen the, the demonstrably a poor side in some games this season but the games you just pointed out there the Spurs one's very very late two goals very very late hard done by as well Leo feel by in that one we, we, it's one of them where you, you can talk about these teams in the Premier League and from our point of view we've just got to turn up and, and do what we can do and then and then you can start worrying about like the Klopp and his, his team will be worrying about yeah well they can do this but if we if we just do this to stop them doing what they want to do and play our way then get our stamp on the game take the ball off them take the chances off them take all the encouragements off them look after the game be sensible in the game and, and as you're saying the responsibility thing is these players have got to be looking at each other now going we don't want another looting this can't happen the draw with City and then the win that we get at the weekends feels hugely hugely it's like a, it's like an adrenaline rush of the season now We've been here before. We've had the sights and sounds of it, the smells of it. We we know what this is like. If we start piecing these wins together, we can't let these even have a sniff of thinking that they're going to trouble us. It's a new manager thing, even though like it's 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 up in the air by then maybe or or, or be settled by then. You'd imagine by the time we kick off, we just can't be letting any of these thinking that they're writing their season against us. There are points give us them definitely, and I think. Last week I said of this block of three that I thought Sheffield United would be the toughest test and obviously I had no idea what Fulham was going to lay in store. But I still kind of stand by it and the new manager thing kind of adds to this. another level uh, of concentration and focus needed. And at times that was what was lacking against Fulham. I don't know if it was, again, Liverpool going into the game believing they just had to turn up and play the football and didn't really turn up enough. I think there will be... Uh, easier for Klopp to kind of make sure that doesn't happen in this kind of game he'll be pressing that upon them but yeah Liverpool have to have the right attitude that's the only way to win games that's how everybody who slips up slips up is by not having the right attitude I believe 100% when you're the better team attitude is the leveller and Liverpool have to go into this with the right attitude and I believe they will got to go into it with the right attitude Mo the other thing I think which is difficult for Chris Wilder don't get me wrong the Liverpool manager you can you can go in a lot of different directions with the Liverpool manager, but this week he often picks a side you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, first week of December, somewhere. It's not always necessarily the middle game. I think it's it's tended to be, but it's not inevitably so. I think it's really difficult to predict the Liverpool team. And, it's, uh, you know, I think that I, I'll give you five names. Um, Kelleher, uh, Alexander-Arnold, Canate, Van Dijk, Mo Salah. I think I can give you names where he'll pick two from a group of three mm-hmm. or, you know, so on and so forth. But, you know, McAllister comes off because he's got himself just a, a, a teeny uh, little bit of a knock, according to Neil Jones earlier today uh, in there. Um, so there's a chance that maybe he's not going to feature. Uh, but I think that he also comes off with an eye on this fixture too. Mm. I think that's a key thing. So I, that in a way, maybe that means he should be in my group of the will play. But even there, there's a chance that, for instance, Endo comes and gets a start and McAllister plays somewhere else. I think it's difficult to predict the Liverpool side. It is. And I think we spoke before the last game about how this could be a block. Uh, but then they also have to take into account the rhythms of each game and what the conclusions of each game are. So how people play, injuries, obviously. Like, I wonder how bad this massive injury is. And what we've seen is um, Jurgen Klopp has protected Ibu a lot more over the course of the last two months than I think most people expected to. So 
if there's a situation where maybe he's out for a long time, and this is another thing, like old um, helicopter elbows, McBurney's not going to be playing. So maybe that thing's, maybe I can put Gerard Conso in there as opposed to a Canate and save Canate for Palace. And maybe there's just a little wrinkle there where he can do it. Uh, I think Endo obviously has played himself perfectly into a situation <clears throat> where not just from in terms of a rest point of view, but also, okay, he's clearly improved in his last two games, deserves a start. That that makes sense for me in this game. But yeah, the attack is an interesting one for me because, again, rotation says that you'd expect Gakpo to get a start at some point. It feels like a, maybe a good time, but then how does Nunez respond? Uh, is there a, a kind of a per player management uh, um, attitude uh, management as opposed to just team management going on? Okay, uh, Manchester United versus Chelsea. My United look so poor against Newcastle. I mean, you know, you say that a lot. The other thing you say a lot as well is that Chelsea can look a little bit like a thing when they play against Brighton, and then next game they don't. Uh, and it's not as easy as home and away either with Chelsea. To me, this is it's a fascinating fixture. It's it's frustrating. It'll be uh, mostly on at the same time as the game between Sheffield United and Liverpool. Uh, and as I'm, I'm heading up to Bramall Lane, I won't see any of it uh, in real time. Um, with United, they just look like a side who were disinterested in what the job was against Newcastle. It'd be amongst the most concerning performances in the managerial reign of this of this manager uh, that they've had. And I include in the context of that getting beat 7-0 at Anfield and I, for me that is it's difficult to sort of path sort of Ten Hag's way back from some of these performances which is a bit of an odd thing to say when they you know still obviously have the number of points that they have and sit where they sit in the table which is seventh but only effectively three points off fifth and all the things that you say and so on and so forth but every single time they play a team who are in the top half they look a mess it's 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 one of the weirdest things in football over the last couple of years because they, they sort of do the same things all the time and expect different results. I was like, well, you need to build your squad better and then they, they, they throw all money all over the place and, and still moan about not having this, that and the other. They buy a goalie who's all right. Like, he's all right, genuinely. I've seen him play well, but he's, he's throwing them all sorts this season. Not really protected very well. A lot of the time, and then like they, they they'll get a result from somewhere, and you just think, well, well, that's just utter madness, and of course, and then they'll go to Newcastle, and none of them look interested, none of them. The, Bright the Brighton game at home this season got beat three 0 There's a video, and it's it's mad. I think it's from a, f a camera feed with no commentary, and you just watch Brighton pass them all over the pitch, and the the like Brighton know what to do, and the United players don't, and they just open them up, put it through, score a goal, and there's just like there's there's bits in the there's bits in build-ups of, of certain games where you're seeing Fernandez go madly pressing and no one else follows him and then he throws his arms around because he loves doing that and then Rashford at the weekend there not really tracking back is that what he's being told to do or is he just not doing his job whose fault's that you know it's, it's not these, 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 sometimes you think of football well, he, he, what's he doing he's not doing his job and then like he, he might literally just be told well we need you here track back to a certain degree but then we need you here for breaking and stuff like that. It's, it's mad. It's a mess, Man United. And great to watch, by the way. And it's really, like, the, the, the Besiktas, not Ian. Galatasaray. Galatasaray, sorry. It was, it, they were playing the other day. Um, Ferdinand and Robbie Savage with the co-commentary things. I was like, mm. I can't put myself through this. 
I just can't. I might mute it, which is horrific when you need audio description. <laughs> um, but, like, it was just mental. And they were talking themselves up. And I'm just thinking, mate, you just aren't watching the same game as all of us. Cause there's a goal, there's a rick in you all the time when you're back. There's just, it's madness. Mac Tomine's the, the, the leading scorer, isn't he? And then now yep. and again, like they'll have individual bits of absolute brilliance that'll, you know, the the goal at Everton just absolutely deflates their tyres, and they go and get another couple on top of it, really. And Everton don't take chances. And if they do, we're probably talking about maybe a draw or a loss for United again there. By the way, it, it's just a weird team to watch at the minute, and they're, they're forever going to keep doing what they're doing if they don't sort of fix themselves from top to bottom. Um. Mo Manchester United needs to improve in a number of areas, uh, including defending, passing, and chance creation. Um, this is it, it. It is it ha- and has been forever. Thus, the thing that's in the favour in this one is that they're at Old Trafford. I think if they were at Stamford Bridge, you would feel as though it'd be a really, really tough evening for them. Um, the one four uh, of the seven games they played at Old Trafford this season, obviously lost the other three because they don't do draws, which I think you should always be suspicious of. Um, the I don't, I've got no. I've got genuinely got no sense to how it plays out a football match because Chelsea are, are madly inconsistent as well. It feels odd to sort of frame it this way, and that I think it's quite significant for the Manchester United manager, and I think it's obviously significant for the Manchester United team. It almost feels a bit more significant for Chelsea for mm. me, in that Chelsea do need if they have got any realistic ambition, and 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 you know they can make an argument as to why they should have to be playing European football next season. Chelsea do need to at some point go on something that you can call a run yep. rather than do what they keep doing. They need to, at some point, back-to-back some results. And they need to be able to tell themselves that they're further along in their development than Man United. And if they're going to get back into Europe, one of the teams they're going to have to overtake is Man United. I mean, speaking of United, <laughs> I always just think of um, Tezza's kind of exasperated look on his face whenever we bring him in here to talk about it. And all the things he always says, he doesn't know what Ten Hag's supposed to be doing. He doesn't know what a Man United goal looks like these are all still the same things and you mentioned the predictability about it that can be good and that can be bad I think that they will be up for this game in the way that they were at Everton and weren't at Newcastle I think the um, the shame that they will be feeling from all of the uh, all of the spoke all of the talk internally and externally about their efforts as opposed to just them as football players I think is really gonna have an effect but I do think Chelsea are further along. And with Chelsea, you can almost tell... Chelsea just look like the better at football. <laughs> it's mad, you know, the five points behind them in the table. Uh, but Chelsea just look better at football. And they are now getting into a situation where they are slowly putting the pieces in the jigsaw together. Like, obviously, I think we're seeing now the fernandez Caicedo are starting to look like they play well together. They've got Badi Shield alongside Thiago Silva, which I think are the best two centre-halves. Interestingly enough, when they went down to 10, they went with a three at the back with Desarsi and they had Matson on and Colwell playing as wing-backs. I thought that looked like their best system. It would be very interesting to see with them being away at Old Trafford, whether Poch wants to go with that or not. But yeah, there's in... There's enough Chelsea players there that you can say, okay, well, I trust him to be able to play well. I trust him to be able to play well. So they have a chance, but you're right. To get to where they need to be, they have to start stringing them together. Uh, here's Mo, uh, talking to Tom Fahey about Villa versus City. And it is here, me, Mo Stewart, and I am talking to Tom Fahey about Aston Villa. Aston Villa, a team who's going to be very high on everybody's must-watch list over the next two weeks, as they've got two very big games, but... It's a pretty entertaining game at the weekend against Bournemouth. Uh, I would say a performance of spirit, Tom, a performance of a team who know that they're good, 
and are able to kind of hang around in games and then provide those bits of quality that give you the points. I mean, it was only one point, but I don't know. Maybe you would have taken four points from Spurs away and Bournemouth away. Yeah, definitely. And especially if you had said to me, Villa will get four points from Spurs and Bournemouth, I'd say the win would definitely be against Spurs. The Jurassic Coast is cursed for Villa. We, we have not beat Bournemouth since uh, the first day of the season when we had our worst ever Premier League season. So there's some weird magic that has happened there where the only goal scorers before yesterday at the Vitality were Rudy Gestead and Ali Samata. So it, it's good that that kind of duck has been broken. We managed to get a point. But I definitely, around 70th, the 70th minute, if you'd said Villas get out of here with a point, I'd say good, write the game off. The performance wasn't great, but I'd like to say that it's just because they know that there's Man City and Arsenal on the horizon and they're keeping their power dry. <laughs> now, do you see that as, as an uh, overly optimistic fan or do you think that that was really a part of the issue in the game against Bournemouth? That Obviously, we've spoken about some of the other teams who are dealing with midweek games and you've obviously had European football to do it with. So do you think there's been a bit too much management? There were a few changes within the team. I think you can kind of see that maybe it was a bit overmanaged with bringing in Zaniolo for DRB. And I, I kind of understand it because Emery came out and explained it quite eloquent, eloquently of why Zaniolo started. He said, you know, I need to make these players know that they're important to me. They need their minutes as well. So, you know, if it comes to the point where there's an injury and we have to play Zaniolo, at least he knows that Emery trusts him. The, the experiment kind of failed. He didn't play very well and ended up posting a picture of a clown on his Instagram story because I think either the Villa fans had upset him or rumours an Italian journalist had upset him. But I think you, you can kind of see when um, Emery's trying something a bit different when Esri Gonsal plays right back, which is like, I need to get Diego Carlos in the team somehow. I'll move Esri Gonsal, who's probably been, outside of maybe Van Dijk, the best centre-back in the league this season and since January, and shutting him out to the right. It doesn't really work, but... I think that will happen again on Wednesday. So, mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my, I'm, I've been completely buoyed by uh, that Spurs game. Where if Man City want to play a mental game, and you want to make the game silly. We can be idiots with the best of them. So we'll, we'll, we'll play into that if they want to do that. Oh, please do, please do. I say that not just as neutral, but as a man who thinks that that is the best way to beat Man City. But you mentioned Emery there and his plans and. Obviously, the, the Zaniolo plan didn't particularly work, um, but he has been known for other parts of his career, I think particularly at PSG, as being a man who he has very specific plans, and then when he's got to try and make in-game changes, it doesn't go well. But, I mean, to be fair to him, he went with two forwards, uh, put Duran and Watkins up, and then put some players on to supply them, the Moreno, the Cash and Diaby, and it worked. That's kind of where the goal came from. It, yeah, it did. And it's nice to see that like the Villa's bench now is really starting to look strong. The fact that we can bring on the likes of Moreno, Cash, Jacob Ramsey, Moussa Diaby off the bench. Like I, I've never seen squad depth like this at Villa. And I think that was a game that was really missing Bubakar Kamara to just put his foot on the ball and just calm things down. And he's back on Wednesday after his suspension. So the fact that Man City had depleted with injuries our squad's finally looking a bit more developed. I think you'll see a much different Villa to what we saw yesterday. I think it will be full strength 
willing to lose to win the game, which is the most important thing you can do against Man City. Yes, I 100% agree with that. And I think that kind of attitude is going to be important because we've spoken a lot about, well, we here at the Anfield Rap over the course of the season, spoken about Villa's great home form. It's looked one of those things where you really get into a certain groove when you're at Villa Park where you can just feel the waves coming and it feels all very comfortable. But these are the biggest tests you face through that time. I believe going back to last season, there's wins over Newcastle and Spurs, but this season in particular, I mean, Brighton would probably argue that they're a decent side, but outside of that, these are the first really good teams that you've played. And do you think that you've got that confidence in your side to still go, okay, it doesn't matter, it's Man City, we're still going to play the way we play at home? Yeah, I think we will. I think teams turn up to Villa Park now, and I think there's a bit of the um, trepidation that you'd get from going to, say, like a City or a Liverpool or a Chelsea back in the day, where teams come to Villa Park now, and you see teams just trying to throttle the life out of the game by just 10 men behind the ball, which I've never seen teams come to Villa Park and not want to engage us in any way whatsoever. Like, when when we played Everton at the beginning of the season, I came out of there and I, I chatted with Neil, and I was like, it's the most pathetic performance I've ever seen because they were terrified of us. Now, Man City won't be terrified of us, but with Rodri, if, if there's a hint of doubt in their team, we'll sniff that out. Because if you're, if you're midfield is emptied in the way that theirs looks like it could be. And you've got Moussa Diaby and Ollie Watkins going straight straight for your centre-backs. Who their centre-backs have looked amazing this season. They've conceded 10 goals in their last four games. So if we can just kind of have the courage of our conviction to play the way that we play and keep playing the short goal kicks, keep playing it out from the back, keep being positive, I see no reason why we can't beat them. And if one more win for us at home would be our greatest ever home record, Equaling pre-war uh, fourteen win, uh, matching going one past the pre-war record of thirteen wins on the road, which we're at at the moment. So history is up for these boys, and you know another win. We go above them. Yeah, the title race. <laughs> okay, so I need you to be honest with me now, Tom. Which player are you more pleased to see suspended, Rodri or Grealish? I think Grealish. I think Grealish only got suspended so he can watch it from the Alton. <laughs> <laughs> Because even, even his booking was a bit like, he really doesn't want to play in this game. Like, he never kicks the ball away. But Rodri not being there, I when he picked up that booking, I celebrated it like a goal. <laughs> the, the, the thought of Douglas Louise against Calvin Phillips has me, like, rubbing my thighs to my jeans burn. And they don't look the same team without him. Uh, Jeremy Doku is now a doubt. No Grealish on the left-hand side. It will probably be Oscar Bob. Uh, with a name like a pre-war pilot, you've got. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if the FA are working today, where if they can expedite the Harlem ban, because you know we're doing this big respect campaign, and there he is screaming in rest face. Let's really put the hammer down on him and let's ban him. So yeah, if if that could happen, yeah. Well, yeah. Rodri missing is is the biggest thing, and just their team looks completely different without him. I don't think there's a more important player to a team in world football at the moment. He's just incredible so yeah the thought of not having to watch him commit eight fouls and not get booked against Villa is really exciting <laughs> now obviously you say you're still in the title race I and mean, you will go above City if you beat them um if you get through City and Arsenal and okay I'm not going to necessarily say beat both but don't like get four points again yeah do you think that you can parlay this into a proper challenge I mean 
obviously for a long time like this time last season we were saying oh Newcastle are gonna, they're going to fade away they're going to fizzle out blah 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 and they didn't <laughs> uh, yeah. so, do you, so does that give you confidence that you can sustain this look I just I love the uh, stupidity of football fans where they would believe anything. and if you said to me that we can pick up four points from Arsenal and Man City I'd say yeah there's there's no reason why we're not in the title race if, if you can get to Christmas and, and you're in and around it yeah, there's no reason why we're not. And we've got a good enough starting eleven to beat any team in the league. And if we can beat Man City, and we're doing it in Europe as well, who knows what could happen? And sometimes all you just need is a little bit of luck and for some teams to just fall away a little. My biggest thing is still, if we finish ahead of Newcastle, then we've had a good season. That's what I said at the beginning of the season. That I'm sticking with it now. And with Nick Pope being out, I think that puts us as favourites to finish above Newcastle because Martin de there is not very good footballer. So I'm not looking at the title with both eyes. I'm looking at it out the corner of one and thinking, who, who knows, there's, there's a multiverse of things where anything could happen, but top four is all that I'm focusing on, which is still mental considering over a year ago we were 17th. I mean, don't forget, Tom, they do still have Morris Karius as well, who's a, a hell of a keeper. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking, is De Gea going to sign for them all of a sudden on a free? And then, but no, it's not him. There we go. Oh, that's even better. We'll finish eight instead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so final point uh, on the City game. You mentioned before City had been conceding a lot of goals, 10 goals in the last four. Villa haven't been keeping clean sheets either. It's 10 games in a row since the last 10 clean sheets. Sorry to kind of remind you of that. Yeah, so high scoring game then. Yes, is that what we were expecting? You going to be going? Yeah, like when when Emery came in, we had this like great ability to just lock things down, and we were just like, we are going to score first, and we're going to win one nil. And now we just concede comedy goals every game. We're either giving the ball to the other team so they can score. The only good goal I can recall us conceding really is Dom Solanke's from the other day. But it's it's going to be it's going to be a silly game, especially because it's it's a it's a night game. At Villa Park, where everyone's going to be going mad to to try and beat City and to basically give one to Grealish as well, being like, "Look, you you left us. We're a better team now, and we're above you if we beat them." So I'll uh, go for a very exciting three-two and maybe a late winner for Villa and Paul and just sucking the ball in with maybe ten to go, but. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd I'd lose a finger to win this game. I'd do anything. <laughs> I love that. Uh, particularly uh, John McGinn winner. Uh, I'd love it. And then oh, yeah. Goes over and waves to his mate Jack in the stand. Big knee slide in front of Pep. Gives me that now. <laughs> so, well, I think we would all sign off on that, mate. However, this fantastic week goes, I wish you all the best. Excellent stuff from Mo and Tom there. I'm going to say that with certainty. It's not happened yet. Uh, but I'm back in Mo and I'm back in Tom. Uh, two solid people. I mean, you know. I don't know why I'm talking to you like this. Like, you haven't yourself heard it. Uh, and we'll go from there. Um, Everton versus Newcastle. Newcastle put a lot into that game against Manchester United. They put a lot into the game against Paris Saint-Germain as well. They've got a day's more... Well, they've got an extra day's rest than other sides because it is Thursday, Mike. They've got the same amount of rest as Everton. Everton looked to me... I don't think you can understate the significance of the win at Nottingham Forest. It feels to me as though it rights them against the madness that I think perhaps looked as though it might swirl them up. It's such an important, responsible three points. and I mean this with, with honest and total sincerity. I think it's hugely to the credit of that group of footballers and that manager that they go to Nottingham Forest, put in that performance and get that result. Yeah, it's it could have easily gone really wrong had they not won. Um 
it, it, you can see you can the season's gone by literally show you what it could have been like if they st- had started to nosedive after what has all gone on with the the 10 point deduction and the you know the whole chat around it the build up that I mean that just happened at the wrong time for that that club essentially the the international break it, it could have really gone the wrong way and it, and it, it doesn't look like it's going to I don't think the win there at the weekend brings them a lot closer to well, basically gives them the three points they'd lost on, on Luton the week before Luton's fixtures even though Everton's aren't you know a walk in the park are just as are just as tough for them um, Everton just better at football Mike well, I course, mean it's yeah. be, you know it can, it can sound like a reductive sentence but you know Everton just look substantially better than Luton and 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 you know Luton looked like the fuller fight and fuller spirit but Everton just look look like a better side massively so I mean they, 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 uh, an unbelievable goal line clearance away from being one they up in the first half uh, the Mario one from McNeil they had lots of chances Everton and, and this is with a, a striker who, who I don't really rate I don't think many Evertonians are rate I think Beto you know he's, he's, he's a bit mad but the, 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 there's a way he's got He's now got Jack Harrison on one wing. He's got McNeil on the other. You know, he's Michaelenko, even though he's not the best left back in the world, he's got some sort of consistency. I love Jared Brandt, but you know, I really, really love him. He's just a he's just a solidly good player on the ball as well as defending really well. The this Anana's been a miss for them, hasn't he? In the middle, um, he's, he's, he he'll be back soon. They're just a good depressingly. It's funny, like I, I was saying to me, my uncle and my mum and all that who are blues, like. It's just you, you're too good to go down, and they, they don't see it. They, it's mad how they don't see it. Some of them, you are they're good. They're good at doing certain things in at, at games, and they had a really good win this season away at Brentford. Um, and I think they done it last year as well, didn't they? When when they were in the mad survival thing, where they, they were just going away and getting these mad results. If you if you if you're a half decent football team, you can do that, and it's not just a fluke. It doesn't just happen just because you work hard. There's the there the occasions where players that you've got who are good will play well and. I think they'll be a tough game, don't get me wrong, Newcastle will be tough, and it's at home where the, the form is nowhere near as good as the away form, which is a mad thing they do need to fix, and, and they, they will want to fix to, to be push themselves further up the table years going on, and, and getting away from this couple of seasons where the relegation fodder, but the, the, it's, it's going to be an interesting game, I think, because I, I, think, I think they'll be, they'll be a, a sort of, it all depends on Anthony Gordon, I think, the atmosphere, which is mad, because it, it ends a bit, tumultuously didn't it for him um, at them and you know it's 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 Newcastle are a good team let's have it right now they they, they are where they are and they played two, the same team essentially against PSG and United and get good levels of performances so it's going to be really tough for Evan. That's the fascinating thing for me about this game the fact that <clears throat> over the last month through injuries and just through his own form Anthony Gordon has become Newcastle's most important player and now he's going back to Goodison. And yes, there is very much going to be narrative around it. We've seen in the past games where, obviously Derby games, where he's allowed the atmosphere to get to him in ways that he probably wouldn't want. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But for Everton's point of view, um, if you look at the kind of the bare pit that they did provide against Man United, it didn't really work for them. So it'll be interesting to see how they approach this game from that perspective. But for Newcastle, they just got to get this game out of the way. Like, when you look at what's coming, um, they've got a massive, massive week uh, with the Spurs game and then the home game against AC Milan. Those two games define their season. They're just trying to get the hell through this one. They are indeed. The last one is Spurs, uh, who've got West Ham United. West Ham season is just weird. Uh, what on earth are they? They're not that bothered by domestic football anymore. They've realised European football's better, Mo. Um, 
I think what's to Tottenham's credit is they've got a continual desire to make sure they've got threat on the pitch and to be carrying threat at all times. And that's why I think West Ham, I often end up saying this before this, and West Ham might not be the best team to play. And then every single game I've said that about this season, I think West Ham have then gone and got beat. Uh, so maybe, you know, maybe I'm just wrong uh, in that regard. But I think what, what Postacoglu is doing even though I think at times it has cost Tottenham and could have cost them even a bit more, is I think he's getting the best out of a number of players because of the approach he is asking them to play with. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's that consistency of it. Um, in a weird way, it kind of reminds me of the England cricket team and the test team when Ben Stokes is talking about, no, we want you to play aggressive cricket and if you get out, we're not going to just bum you out the side like the previous regime so and it's that consistency of message to say no forget the outside noise this is what I want you to do Keep so the pursuit the pursuit error for the goal that goes three I think if there's a note it will be the reason why you should pass to your fallback is we're more likely to create something from there yes. not the idea of you've turned into trouble and that's a really interesting way to look at it that that will be the irritation you could have you could have created something more if you'd have gone that way played it in front of him let him carry the ball and that way you're not just hammering him for saying you did a really stupid thing at a stupid time you're saying look this is how we we can still do what we're doing, but do it better. And that's the key, isn't it? It's and that's like, very England cricket team as well. Yeah. It's like when things are going wrong, you're not necessarily saying we're going to change. We're going to work out why it went wrong and do it better. And I think it was so fascinating the amount of times that within that City game, you'd hear uh, one of the commentators, or there was one time Carragher talking about why he wouldn't want them to keep playing out from the back. And as he was talking about it, they literally played through Man City and were there on the edge of their box. It's like, well, this is why they do it. And this game against West Ham is weird. It's a weird rivalry for me because it feels like both of them should have uh, bigger fish to fry elsewhere, but they don't treat it that way. So it might end up, be, end up being Maybe a Paul double. Dehaney's right and everyone hates Spurs. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every London team hates Spurs. Maybe he's right. He's been right all along. Well, they're, they're an easy target. They really are. Um, but then again, you look at West Ham and they are making individual areas like the goal that they gave Palace was ridiculous so they probably won't be going into it with full confidence so this is either going to be an absolute dog of a game or a fascinating one to watch if I was David Moyes I would tell this team uh, prior to this one that uh, Tottenham Hotspur actually play in the south of France <laughs> uh, you know maybe you know it's a way so maybe you should fly them rather than let them get the tube which I'm sure is what the footballers do uh, you should you know be crystal clear with them Mike you know Make them all put, carry the passports. It's one of them. Uh, it's the way in which it works because that looks like how you get the best out of West Ham at the minute. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? That's a, it, I think them and Brighton are going to be very very aligned over the next couple of years of what what do we do? Because we're very much going to be round Europe if, we, if, we, if we're in these like second or third tiers competitions and up there in the league. And I think they're still not quite used to it yet, even though they, they played in the European competition and won one last year. I just said that was like the... I think if anything, like the two used to it. Yeah. What they're not used to is they have to play a domestic game <laughs> yeah. at the weekend. They haven't, quite, they haven't quite figured out how to go, all right, we win on Thursday, win on Sunday, win on Wednesday, win on Saturday sort of thing. And it's it's mad because they've been do, they've been they've they've had a fair crack at it now. And I, I don't know, you can toss a coin in this game. I don't know what's going on. Do you think what might work genuinely without me being facetious about it, Mike, for West Ham is they're used to three games in a week and Tottenham aren't. So Tottenham have just had a big emotional one up against City. 
one of the Basuma points, I think, as well, which he wasn't, which the whole thing wasn't given credit for, is he's absolutely fucking knackered. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's worth putting like his legs look like that. Not only is he making the error, but his legs look like they're about to fall off. Yeah. So I think that this might, there might be a thing here where, from, from West Ham's point of view, there's nothing wrong with this game going long, going deep. They can back the bench, they can look at the boys. Do you know what I mean? I wonder if what will work for West Ham on this one is actually not so much to treat it like a European game, but to rely on their experience of knowing what it's like when you've got three in a week. I think that's what I'd be saying if I was. In, in the West Ham coaching staff I'd be like well look they're a good team and they'll, they'll be in the game because they're dangerous they're, the high line the, the way they play they're, they're attacking they'll play out but they, they can't play like that three times a week 90 minutes every single minute so you're going to get chances you're going to have spells in the game where you're on top you know we you, they're a good side West Ham where, where are they on Bowen is he back or is he yeah. uh, he's, uh, he was at risk at the weekend, wasn't he? The issue I is just... he's played him centre fireworks because Kudus is, yeah. is in at right wing uh, because they're, 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 they're lacking a couple of options and he's decided that he doesn't fancy Danny Ings so it's been a lot of Bowen playing through the middle which I think has got a lot of points to it and I like Kudus a lot as a player as well so that's got some points to it but you sort of feel a little bit like they're missing something somewhere that ends yeah. up taking Paquetta out of the middle which maybe you shouldn't be doing when you're playing at home to Crystal Palace. Maybe that's where you've got to be a little braver and pick two of Suchek, um, Ward Prowse, and who's the other enormous Alvarez. lad they have knocking around there, Alvarez. Maybe you've got to you've got to be a little bit bolder and pick only two of those three when you play against Palace. Um, I mean, I'm, who's me to tell European Moyes what to do? But <laughs> I do feel I do feel like if ever there's a game where you you pick one of the best playmakers in the Premier League in behind the front man, it might be that one. Yeah, it, it, it's it's mad, isn't it? Because you've got such depth of it. It's 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 not like they're not dripping with it, but the depth of quality they've got. When when Bowen's in form, now Kudus is good. He was good for Ghana. Um, it's, they just they need to find a, a pattern of what they're doing here. And sometimes it might be good to play to Bowen where he's been playing him up front. And sometimes you just let him be Gerard Bowen of Gerard Bowen of what we've seen in the past, like the 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 the, the father who can carry the ball miles. And, and and slam it in the goal dead hard. Like he's done a couple, he's done a bit of that over the last couple of years. So he loves slamming it in the goal dead hard. I, I, I want to sign him just for that. To be honest with you, yeah, it's it's really satisfying when you get to see it. Mm. Uh, okay, uh, that has been the Friday show. As I say, who are we to tell David Moyes what to do? European trophy behind him, uh, doing excellently, uh, and it's his uh, continental stylings and attitudes that have made West Ham the club that they are. Thank you very much indeed to Mo, to Mike, uh, to Natalie, to Billy, and to Tom. Uh, it's been your Friday show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Do tell your mate. Podcast Network.